beautiful people. Quick question. Have you ever thought to yourself, I've been passed up for a promotion, but I don't understand why? Or I want a change in my career, but where do I even begin? We know we're not the only ones that have had these questions. And that's why we started this podcast. It's called Gems for the Journey. And we hope that as you listen, you can discover some gems for your career journey. I'm Leah Murphy. And in my life, I wear many hats. I'll tell you about just three of them. I am an engineer by trade, a career coach and entrepreneur, all while working hard to stay happily married and raise three beautiful children. Ooh, that sounds like a lot of work, Leah. <laughs> my, name is, <laughs> my name is Alma Gordon. I'm a brand marketer, entrepreneur, and serial passion pursuer with a business approach to my endeavors, but always with a creative spin. And we're two really great friends that have supported one another throughout our entire professional careers. I mean, we've been through it all. And we're here to share some authentic stories that include key successes and setbacks. You're not going to want to miss this. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Navigating Career from the perspective of amazing, skilled, and talented African-American men. Woohoo! We are celebrating yes to that. Yes to the yes. black men. We love you guys. We absolutely love you. We are here for you. Yes. We want to represent you. We want to tell your stories. Yes to black men. Yes. I mean, in the wake of everything going on right now with the political climate, with the recent killings of George Floyd, uh, even you know women like Breonna Taylor and even more recently, there was another killing in Atlanta. Just so many names um, that uh, just our Black men, we just felt like it was an opportune time to stop, recognize, uplift, and do our part to celebrate Black men, to highlight why they're so valuable, so important to not only Black families, uh, Black women, but also to society. And I mean, in the wake of everything that's going on, we have found very easily, by the way, right? We didn't have to do a Google search. Uh, it was just a text message, phone call away. We have found an amazing, uh, skilled Black man by the name of Brent Whiteside, AKA Ron. <laughs> so you will hear us going back and forth interchangeably between calling him Brent uh, or Ron. Uh, throughout the episode, and he is an executive uh, and engineer by trade, uh, successfully has navigated through corporate America to the executive level uh, in the automotive industry, and uh, also with an MBA, right, Ron? You have an MBA? Yes, ma'am. Shout out. Yeah, let's so let's not <laughs> glaze over the engineer. Yeah, you you thought I was just going to let that go. <laughs> Let's try to like be polite. And, yeah, let me let, shout out to the Meckies for the one time. Yes, go on. Love. The NBA is great. I, you know, I'm happy about that too. I get it. I get it. You know, I, I was at, you know what, Leah? I was actually going to get to that second and say it was, he's, he's got two of, in my opinion, one of the most valuable skills and trades that in degrees that you can have. Uh, between engineering, understanding systems and how things work. And I feel like the whole world really depends uh, on uh, engineers in some form or fashion, but then also understanding business, right? It's great to understand 
how to bring in the money, right? I think we might have gotten converted. I'm a, I think we've made a believer out of you. That's it. Just a little bit of time for you to appreciate what we bring to the table. Not that you dismissed it before, because you've always been an advocate. You've always been a big supporter. But, you know, these words are rolling off the tongue here. I like this. That's it. Right? Right? You know what it is? And, and it's, it's crazy, because I think I've, like, after we have been, I mean, doing this podcast for a fair amount of time now, at least six months, what I have moved from was I was previously an admirer, right? From a distance. Didn't quite truly understand what you did, Leah, but knew you were great, knew it was hard, and you were smart. So, you know, that was all I needed. (laughs) Yeah, engineers, here we go. I will always cheer for you uh, because it's not something I understand. I always admire things and uh, different areas that I don't know about, but now after spending so much time discussing, and I think we've had a few engineers on the show, I'm like, okay, I get it now. I get it now, you know? So now it's more of an understanding in addition to the admiration. Well, welcome. Welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Engineer's life. So Ron, welcome, right? Engineer life. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm very excited. Career gems for the journey. Man, I love it. (laughs) I'm talking about Ryan. Thank you, ladies. (laughs) And I just wanted to add a little tidbit if you haven't heard the accent, uh, because I just love it, right? I'm I'm from, from New York. We've said that many times. And Leah's from Philly. So we're from the Northeast, but I think... What helps add a little uniqueness to Ron's story, uh, in addition to some of the other men that we have interviewed, is that, you know, Ron is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're born and raised in the South, right? Born and raised. Uh, 40, hmm, I would say 45 years now. <laughs> 45 years now. Yep. Hot and how deep in the South? I mean, are you like right below the Mason Dixon or are you like? Yeah, right really below. Uh, of course, South Carolina. <laughs> you know, that's a long story there. So. Yeah, <laughs> you know Orangeburg, South Carolina, right outside of uh, Columbia, the capital. About eighty-six thousand people, small city, but you know, um, that's where I'm from. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I could only imagine growing up in South Carolina, uh, very different than sort of the hustle and bustle of the Northeast in in terms of a lot of things, right? So. Uh, business opportunities, educational opportunities, uh, and of course, interaction with other cultures, mm-hmm. racial bias, discrimination. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your upbringing and, and how, you know, it has impacted you and shaped some of your experiences of both, um, you know, growing up? Yep, absolutely. Um, December 18th, 1973 was the day I was born. In Orangeburg, South Carolina, I tell everybody I remember the day I came home as a brand new baby. <laughs> I sat. <laughs> I, 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 sat I sat behind a passenger seat. I sat behind a passenger seat. My 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 mother Ford Pinto. It was brown. For some reason, I had that in my mind, and she told me that was it. I don't know why that is, but that was it. And um, we actually grew up um. Four. We have about four kids. Uh, um, I think you remember uh, my mother adopted my cousin Tierra. So it was four of us yep. in the house for, for my whole um, upbringing. Um, and we had a, a 1,800 square foot home, single family, single mother, $22,000 a year. 
just think about that. $22,000 a year. And the limit for food stamps, the max was 21. So we was $1,000 over the limit where we couldn't get any public assistance. Think about that. So when you think about a kid coming in from that situation, you would think he always have a chance of accomplishing some of his dreams and some of his goals as he uh, um, moved through life. But being in the South, um, you'll see a lot of things, you know, at that age of five and six, you start to see, you know, the Confederate flag, things of that sort. Um, people not liking you because of the color of your skin, um, yelling out racial slurs. But at that moment, you really don't understand what all that is until your parents start to tell you their stories about the, um, I'm not sure if you guys saw Orangeburg, if you get a chance to see that documentary, it talks about um, the bowling alley in Orangeburg where they had a huge, um, protest and my mother actually was a part of that protest and actually went to jail that night um, when she tell me stories as we get older but as I digress um, you know just coming up in the south things was um, you know a little um, hot and a little uncertain you know wondering if you can come out of the south out of small cities and small towns wondering if you can actually make something of yourself and, um, and accomplish some of your dreams and goals but one thing my mother always told me and instilled in us that you can do anything that you want to do if you want it bad enough. And if, once you decide that's what you want to do, um, you just make a decision and go get it done. So, you know, with the struggles that we had, um, making $21,000 a year, that was gross. So just think about um, taxes. After taxes, is $18,000 a year. So that's right. That grows, that grows to nothing. Net, right? Exactly. People, people, people forget about so, that. that. That's nothing. So 18,000 <laughs> was the real number. You're trying to clothe mm -hmm. and feed everybody off of one income. So um, I'm sure a lot of people around the world and, and where I came from, you know, you, you struggled sometimes with um, you didn't have the best clothes. Um, sometimes you, you, we always had something to eat, but it was tough sometimes, but we always had something to eat. And, you know, with the help of all other family members, that kind of helped us get over the hump and we had certain challenges at times with um, making ends meet. But, uh, but one thing she always instilled in us was to um, um, it won't be like this forever. And that's one thing I hung on to. And that's when the dream process started for me around 13 years old when I told her, I know we're struggling now, mama, but if you can get me to 15, you'll never have to give me a dime again. And she got me to 15 years old and that was it. She never gave me a dime ever since. And that's when it started for me um, in high school. Um, as I came up through middle school, being what I call 99 pounds and four foot 11. Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. So you I'm like, you are blowing me away right now. Like, the, the fact that you told your mom at 13, like, yeah, just, you know what I mean, mama? I see what you're doing. I see your work. I see what you, I see how you're providing for us. Give me two more years and I can see it in my own future that I'm going to turn this around for us. Like, that's that's just tremendous. At, at 99 pounds, right? Like, what did you, the fact that you had that kind of confidence. Wow. That's it. And 411. So, um, you know, the struggles was real. I didn't go to my prom because I couldn't get a date. <laughs> I don't know if my game was whack or I was just too short, but all the girls were taller than me. <laughs> so, so, you know, actually playing football, think about that at 99 pounds. So, you know, it was a, an interesting upbringing. Um, you know, we had a lot of love and all of that, but, you know, as I, um, went through middle school, you know, um, we had our struggles there, but once I got to high school, that really was the, the turning point for me when, um, uh, on a career day, um, we had an engineer come in, Lee, I know you can relate to this. 
He said, man, you can make $35,000. This is back in 1989. $35,000 if you become an engineer. And one thing I used to do as a kid was fix all the uh, toasters, the, the, the cars, the washing machines, and know what I was doing. But for some reason, I just love to do it. I figure it out. And that right there was the one that sparked it for me. And he said, man, only thing you got to do is uh, figure out what you want to be, figure out what you want to do, and figure out what you want to have. Go home and write that stuff down. I was like, okay, I'm going to go home and do it. And, and guys, and to this day, I have that written down from 1989. Wow. Oh, do you have it in a frame? Oh, yeah. I, I got all of it. And, and, when I, and I talk to the mm -hmm. kids now, I always tell them that story. And and I look at it, and he said, "Man, if you if you don't quit, you get started and don't quit, stay steady, you will make it." And I looked at that list later, and I get emotional sometimes, you know. <laughs> I, I get emotional sometimes when I look at it, like, man, everything came true on this list except playing pro football. And that's so close. Everything on the list came true. So close. Lee, I didn't want to play pro football after I went on the field one time and saw him hitting. I was like, nope, this is not for me. <laughs> Let me focus on this engineering thing more full time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's really so, Ron, I'm going to stop you because you dropped a few gems yeah. and I just wanted to make sure that we picked them up. Right. <laughs> we picked them up and make sure the listeners are picking them up too. There was one thing that you said, I think you said your mom said it, and then you said it, and uh, which was, it's not going to be like this forever. Amen. And I think we can still use that statement as inspiration for what is happening today. Yep. And if you believe that, and then take it a step further to your second gem that you dropped, which was write it down, right? Write down what you want, write down what you want to be, write down essentially the vision that you have for yourself and your future and hold on to it. Mm -hmm. Don't let it don't let it go because there's challenges. Don't let it go because you're stumbling over, you know, stones and running into obstacles, right? Mm -hmm. Because back to that first gem, it won't be like this forever. Absolutely. It will not be like this forever, no matter where you come from. And I tell kids all the time, I don't care if you um, come from Section 8 or live in a home somewhere. It won't be like that forever. If you ask for help, somebody help you if you really want to go out and accomplish something in your life. And and that was the key for me, just really dreaming to um, take my mind away from my circumstance. Um, you know, not having the clothes, not having the um, the cars or having a car period because um, I know I tell the story sometime too I actually went on a date with my mama driving and guess what <laughs> I was 16 years old just imagine that <laughs> just imagine that so so the struggle was real people the struggle was real sometimes <laughs> but, but but with that said though all that just helped shape me into um what I knew I really wanted to become and I know it's tough sometimes you know with the challenge that you have but one thing I did surround myself around was people that was going where I was going. That was really one of the things that really um, kept me grounded. I didn't want to be around people that was, gonna, that was gonna derail me from accomplishing what I just told you, what I want to be, what I want to do, and what I want to have. That's and, amazing. And that really, yep, and I that was... really started the process, so. 
Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, to, just to have that kind of foresight, right? And mm-hmm. to, as a young man, understand that mm-hmm. you have, you know, goals and and objectives and things that you want to see for your life, and then recognizing the risk to surrounding yourself with people who aren't on that same wavelength, right? Like, yeah. well-meaning might be nice people, right? And you've grown up with them, or they're from your community, or you have some other connection, but knowing that you wanted to move and, and excel to this next level and reach broader aspirations really like created more momentum for you than you could ever get from, you know, from keeping these friends around. And that's hard yep. sometimes, right? So, you know, folks get left behind is. often. So that's, yep. that's amazing. That's great advice. That's a real gem for people to take yep. away. You know, the people you surround yep. yourself definitely impact your momentum, your velocity, and can be benefits, total assets, or, you know, c- could be risky and liabilities. Yep. And it can be a problem because uh, during my upbringing, and that's in the South, and I'm sure probably in the Northeast area, it probably can be um, a little bit more um, difficult. But, um, you know, I've seen people just, you know, they lose everything just being with the wrong people, being around oh, the yeah. wrong people. And they was well-mean, well-to-do. Um, they was headed great places. And one car ride, one situation, their life is over. Because uh, they surround themselves with the wrong people or made decisions that didn't support the vision that they had for themselves. And that's true. Yep. And along the way, I mean, the um, the the struggle that you're going to have, that's going to be a part of the process. So just get ready for it. As soon as you set the dream and the vision, the challenges are coming. Because one of the challenges Mm -hmm. I had was uh, no money, in which, of course, you know, the um, the drug dealers offered to be um, what I call mules. Just think about this, $40,000 a month in high school. I could have made just driving from uh, South Carolina to uh, Miami. Parents struggling. I mean, a mother struggling. We didn't have any money, any food. And I could have made that one decision that could have derailed me from where I'm at today. Just think about that. So your decisions are very, very, very important. And it could and it will kind of mold um, the way you go um, in the future. So, yeah. Yep, so just, just 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 from there, um, w- once I decide what I want to do, it, um, get out of the way, I'm ready to run. And um, you know, went through high school, um, and actually, to tell you the truth, and a lot of things don't matter when you have a dream, because I, I'll tell you this, um, that I can tell anybody, um, I made a 810 on the SAT. I didn't study one time. I was like, I'm gonna take the test, and whatever happens, happens. <laughs> I applied to three colleges and whoever um, accept me, that's why I'm going. And I'm not sure what people make in the day on the SAT, but that's all I took at one time, didn't practice, and I made an 810, that was it. And I got accepted in the USC, and that's when, this, that's when it started. I signed up for electrical engineering at first, Leah. It was electrical engineering at first. <laughs> 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 and... and I got my first D plus in college and I was like, well, electrical is not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe God has other plans. (laughs) Sometimes you sometimes you have to sometimes you have to pivot. Yeah, it's not. It it was not for me. I could not get that for nothing. So I rotated to uh, mechanical engineering real fast. And 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 guys, and it it really just comes down to about um, at the time 20 people, 20 of my friends that I met. Um, started engineering with me and 19 of them dropped out. Wow. So I had to make the decision. I had to make the decision. How bad do you want this dream? You said back in 89, Brent, you want to be a mechanical engineer. 
how bad do you want it? Everybody's leaving. Everybody going to business. They're going to political science. They're going everywhere else. Are you going to stick it out and go out and get the job done, even though you got a 1.9 GPA the first semester? Brent, I had a, that yeah. is phenomenal. I had a similar story and I never talked about this to anybody else, but I was, um, on, on the first day of freshman orientation, um, they do for, for the college of engineering, they sit you down in an auditorium. They say, look to your left, look to your right. You know, one of those people won't mm-hmm. be there when you graduate. And I was, right. I just remember feeling like when they said it, like it was just callous, like, wow, that's such a mean mm-hmm. thing to say. But when I graduated, none of the people on my row were next to me. Like when I walked across the stage, all of those people who I was sitting next to, there were five of us in a row and none of them were there. So, you know, the story that you're telling is absolutely true. And it's just amazing to think about your perseverance and your commitment and dedication to it because it's, it's absolutely not easy. And I'm sure it was even harder in the 80s yep. at, you know, at SC than it was in the you know early 2000s um, at yep. Temple. So it's just it, it trips me out. But it's, it's very true. It's, it's absolutely yep. very true. And the challenges and a lot of our go ahead. uh Yeah, a lot of our experiences growing up, they mold how we adapt and how we overcome adversity as adults, right? And um, we were having a conversation, Leah and I, with um, one of our other guests, just about people of color. Uh, and we can be specific, right? Mm-hmm. Because right now we're highlighting Black men and how, you know, Black people, there was something about him as a hiring manager that he knew uh, and could, could probably make the assumption and was often, you know, proven right that with the, the Black team members uh, at different levels or, you know, different colleagues, that there was something about their experience, there was something about their upbringing that allowed them to not quit on a project, you know, with the first pass of, you know, complications, to not give up uh, when things get challenging and when you have to stay, you know, later nights and make some sacrifices. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how that may have impacted, your upbringing may have impacted how successful you were able to be in the professional setting because you had overcome a lot of those uh, challenges that you talked about with your childhood and even in, you know, your studies. Yep. And, and, and that's part, and that was a part of the entire process, you know, being, um, like I said, Leah, 1.9 was my GPA, um, my first semester in college. And by the time I graduated, it got up to a 3.8. Um, so when you look at, when you make a commitment to um, accomplish your dreams and goals, you can make all that happen. And, and, what you, and what you're listening to right now is the first person at University of South Carolina, December 1996, to have their job six months before he actually graduated in my entire engineering college. You're talking to him right here. Ruffin's out here. That is out here shining on him today. Let's take this opportunity to give you your flowers. You, you have. We do that. Yes, that is on gems for the journey. We give flowers to those. Oh, I'll take them. Let me see. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) just deserving. Like these are. This is why we want to tell these kinds of stories because this is like this is phenomenal. You are a trendsetter. You're a history maker, right? And and these stories just need the opportunity to flourish. 
other people should hear them. And I mean, I'm certainly inspired just sitting listening to you. But I think it also just it tells me more about the way you show up in um, in your work. Understanding that adversity and having a sincere ability to engage with other people on all levels, right? So now you've you know achieved a certain level of success, and you know you feel totally comfortable in that space. But your ability to navigate and understand people at the other end of the spectrum who are still earlier, right, in developing their dream and, and realizing it. So I wonder, um, do you ever do you ever get a sense that? that leadership style helps to differentiate you or helps you to show up really in a, in a unique way that is um, that connects to other people really well inside of your organization. Yes. You know, just being inside my organization, um, you know, one thing I, I, I focus on and as far as, um, you know, getting the job done, understanding what the objectives are and applying my skill set, my gift to making sure it happens, you know, with excitement, being an example of leadership and commitment and hopefully the people around you can kind of see that and join the team for us to get it done. I know they look at me like, hey, who is this guy here with this brown skin trying to take things over, but stepping into the room with confidence, knowing that you are up on your numbers, you're on, you're on, you're on top of your skill set, and you paid the price to be more knowledgeable than anybody in the room, guess what? They have to listen. They will have to listen. You know all the facts, you know all the figures, you know all the policies, and you know more than everybody in the room, and they're going to have to listen. And some of the challenges um, has helped me mold my, my leadership style to help the people um, around me um, know that I want to be a great example in helping my company and myself um, be more and more successful as we all uh, work our way around the, um, the workplace. So, um, and also, you know, with our internal um, black organizations that we have internally in the company, I just want to make sure I always stay connected with them. So my um, energy and things that I know I can pass down to them, some of the newer people that's coming into the company, um, because I have a plan to exit and I want to make sure they have everything that I've learned along the way to help them be more and more successful um, in the workplace. Was there ever something that, like, was there a pivotal moment or a moment of discrimination or racial bias that ever happened in a professional setting where you had to tap into all of those things that you just described? You had to tap into, you know, um, how to, to, to walk in with confidence, how to address the situation with confidence and perhaps educate or, you know, just address it in a way where you had to utilize all the skills that you had built up from being raised in that single mother household to being the, the only person to have an offer six months prior to graduation, everything that you picked up along the way. Um, can you tell us about a time? Because I know it's happened. I mean, it's happened to all yeah. of us where there's <laughs> somebody has said something, someone has done something and you had to take a breath. <laughs> Yeah, it is a it's actually a, a guy at our company. I won't call his name. Um, ladies, I've been, I was like, I'm and I just knew this guy here was on the other side, I like to say, of prejudice. And when he gets around people of color, it, it makes him uneasy. And before I said anything to him, I, I start studying him and try to figure out is this guy who I think he is. So, you know, I just looked out the window to see what kind of car he drives and all that stuff. Had a Confederate flag on the front of his uh truck. 
So I'm like, oh, okay, now I see why he never speaks to me when I speak to him in the office place. Now I understand this. So uh, I'll say, uh, I just call him uh, Bob. Oh, good morning, Bob. He'll just look at you. Good morning, Bob. Just look at you. I was like, Bob, I'm going to say good morning to you until you speak to me one day. And, um, and finally, he said, uh, good morning, Brent. Looking down, he couldn't even look me in the face. <laughs> he couldn't even look me in the face. But to your point, with all of this going on, um, I've had situations where um, you look at the, the leadership style and the management levels within our company where you notice that out of every 10 managers, we have one minority. And not always a minority is African-American or Black. The, uh, you know, our Asian Indian counterparts and our um, Asian American counterparts are taking those spots. And that's where um, the need for us to kind of stand up a little bit and try to say, hey, um, corporation, what are we going to do about this diversity here that we have, or this lack of diversity that we have here at our company right here. And I actually received an uh, email last week in the wake of, you know, George Floyd and all this stuff that's going on with Black Lives Matter movement. Um, they wanted me to lead a focus group on Black Lives Matter, ladies, within the corporation. So they actually want to have um, everybody, a diverse group of people in the room to talk about this thing, gloves off, uncut, to answer the questions that people out in society that don't understand us have a chance to um, get their questions out and to talk more about what this movement is all about. And what did you say, Ron? I am on the edge of my seat. <laughs> did you? <laughs> I, 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 Leah, I, I was going to say silent because I'm like, I know Leah feels really silent. <laughs> what did you say? Leah, How did I, I you? I got an email. Go ahead. I, I had to look, I had to look, look to the heavens. I like, God, what do you want me to do? I just sat there in silence and I, a voice came back. Is your, you got to take this, your responsibility. You have to do this. So I sent the note back and said, yes. So more to come ladies on that. So I got to see how this is going to span out. I'm just wondering from you guys, should we just, have, just take the gloves off and just have, and just have it out? Or how do you think we should handle this? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> this is career, career gems. I'm gonna need a little career gems. This is this is um this is a tough one because I think that we are all just experiencing such a wide variety of emotions, um, from anger to frustration to dismay to hopelessness. You know, it, it can go all over the gamut, and oftentimes yeah. I think organizations. Um, Oftentimes, organizations want to leverage some of those feelings in order to educate themselves. And my concern yeah. always is I want to protect people because, you know, you're already managing so much at home and in your personal life. Do you really want to go and, and, and start that kind of dialogue at work for two reasons? Yeah, for two reasons. One is just, you know, do the same corporate rules apply, right? Like there's all kinds of preconceived notions about, you know, being passionate or raising your voice or even potentially crying, <laughs> yeah. right? Or like, you know, expressing mm -hmm. over frustration. And if the typical corporate rules still apply, there's a risk there, right? There's a risk for you as the employee. It is. But um, it is. the other thing that, you know, the second part, which is kind of what you're, what you're getting after is this kind of responsibility of we operate in these spaces. We see these people all the time. 
we are normally probably one of the very, very few examples that they come across on a consistent basis um, of a Black person that they can feel some level of connection to. Because um, a lot of times these people live in pretty sanitized or homogeneous environments. And that just means, mm -hmm. you know, there's no Black people around. So I think the best organizations should go out and get third parties, you know, to who are experts in <laughs> diversity and inclusion to bring them into the organization and really go after it in the same way that they address any kind of business problem. Right. What are the KPIs? What are we driving? What does our success measure look yeah. like? And then put the right resources against it. But I do think you have a role to play as, you know, as a person who lives in the organization, right? You know the neighborhood. Somebody's going to come out, you know, somebody from the outside is going to still come in and just ask you your opinion anyway, because you're, right, yeah, you're exactly. a, that's the whole episode, right? You're a black executive, you're <laughs> mm -hmm. a leader in that organization. So you really want them to make sure they're getting a true picture and a true representation of what's happening so that they can create positive policies and practices that'll benefit the black people who are in the building. So there is a certain duty, Absolutely. right, to those people who are in the organization, who look up to you, who rely on your wisdom and your guidance to navigate this. But somebody of your, you know, caliber and competency, I have no concerns. Folks who, you know, are a little bit more junior, don't have quite the track record of success, you know, and yeah. don't have the same maybe air cover, you know, you gotta, you, they mm -hmm. have to go about it in a way that's going to make sure they remain protected and they still feel safe and the organization supports them. So that's my. You know what, yep. Leah? I, Listen, Leah. So it, you know it's funny because that's exactly the way I felt a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And, but I don't know what it is, but I have gotten tired, mm -hmm. right? And I don't know if it's because over the past three weeks, right? Because it's been a little less than three weeks, right? Since George Floyd uh, was murdered. But I mean, since then, I've physically been out protesting. I have in, been just sitting in my home and consistently hearing night after night protesters going by my building, my window, outside my doorstep, uh, and consuming any sort of news channel, right? All that information, right? And what now, where my mindset is, it's in a very different place than where it was a few weeks ago. Before, I was so excited, I was exuberated. I, all I had to deal with was the, the day in and day out of, you know, the normal, what we call black tax, right? When sometimes mm -hmm. you have to make sure you CYA, cover your ass ahead of time in the middle and after, just in case anything goes on, right? Show up early, do extra work to make sure that if anything should arise, um, no one can point the, fig the finger at you. Be mindful of your voice and your tone. Be mindful of your haircut, do you have, you know, for the men, yeah. or do you have facial hair? For the women, what are you wearing? Do you have stockings on? Whatever it is, right? And that is fine. That's, that's a day in the life of a Black person. But after mm -hmm. all of this that we have consumed in the media and physically protesting, I'm tired. So to be in a place where, you know, now you're given extra work, Right. When to <laughs> Leah's point, if it was any other business problem, you bring in a third party, you bring in an expert. And I don't mind being a part of the conversation. Right. But to have to facilitate, to have to lead, to have to put together some sort of format and structure to address a bigger problem. Right. This is a systematic problem. Yeah. problem right. Yeah. 
that started before I got here and I'm sure it'll be going on after, you know, any of us leave, right? Because we are planning our exit plans. Some of us have, have yeah. already done that. I'm raising my hand because <laughs> I've already executed my exit plan, but <laughs> it's, it's just a lot. I'm tired. It <laughs> is. It yeah. is. I, it is. And I think I started where you were, right? Like I started. So we like flip flopped <laughs> yeah. on our position because I was tapped out weeks, you know, four weeks ago. Like, listen, I, you know what? It's the best thing it could possibly be for me to be on quarantine right now. I mean, not to have to be in the office and have to walk by office, and yeah. right and 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 make small talk during this, you know, this complete and utter dumpster fire of an experience that America is having that is spilled over into, you know, international protest um, because of racial discrimination and just flat out murder of black people. So I, you know, I, mean? I start, I could go either way on any day. I try to choose joy and really like operate at my higher evolved self oftentimes <laughs> because like, you know, there otherwise you it, it helps me feel like I have a little bit of control over the environment that I operate in because I've also seen corporations go out, go out and, you know, design policies that are completely just ignorant, right? And completely, like, yeah. didn't didn't really talk to a Black person before you made the change. And it's clear. So, you know, I think right. there's so many <laughs> right. things you that can tell, you... You can tell there, that there was no Black person in the room what? when the decision was when they made. made that decision. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Correct. So, you know, I, I, I go back and forth, but Ron, I mean, you're, you're such an honorable you know, dude, like this is how you show up. So it doesn't surprise me that they yeah. will rely on you. I, I just want to make sure that for you, they need to put some skin in the game, right? Like this, you yeah. know what I mean? This cannot be a Ron comes, shares all these things, puts all this, you know, information out there. People come and share help, heartfelt stories and, you know, bear their souls yeah. emotionally. And then y'all go back to your desk <laughs> like, man, that was informative and happen. nothing changes. Like, yeah. no, that's where, that's, that's where we get pretty reckless. Um, so yeah, I think if this is if this is you know an opportunity for you to put your thumbprint on the organization in a way that hasn't happened before, um, you know I think that's a real personal decision. And I think no matter what your choice is, whether it's where Ama is today or where I am today or vice versa, yeah. you know in the future, I think it's it's, it's really honorable. Um, and I have no doubt that you're gonna you're gonna give them something to think about. Yep, and, and that's what I plan to do. Just use it, just stories. I like to tell stories. To help them see and hopefully they can learn from that. You know, talking about, you know, being pulled over six times, you know, going into a Waffle House with nothing but people with Confederate flag hats on. And I'm the only black person in there, you know, telling these type of stories and hopefully, you know, that opened their eyes. But at the same time, they reached out to me, I think, because I was a black male, <laughs> you know, the one black male that's in the room. And uh, we think oh, we think we need to get Brent to do this one. <laughs> mm-hmm and uh, see if we can kind of bridge the gap between the people within the uh, corporation in our section so we can just have the conversation. So, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. one thing about it, uh, we did get an email that uh, they had six promotions and all of them was black. Oh! Mm. 100%. So it's working. Somebody's doing something out there. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, I'll take that. I'll take right. That. That's that's a good first. That's a good first step. They got a lot more steps to take because you know the See, exactly. Just don't let it be a one-time thing because you know um, this is the flavor of the month right now. So that's one thing that I'm hoping to do to, to make sure it's not a one-time emotional reaction. Oh, let's call Brent. Let's call the people that of color to see if we can get them engaged. And um, in 12 months from now, we back to who we were 
doing the same thing that we were doing for the last, uh, say, 50 years. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so, so Ron, if you, because, you know, we like to leave our listeners with, with gems and we like to provide suggestions on how they can make these gems theirs. Uh, if, and I guess this might be a nice little practice too, right? Um, for what you might um, <laughs> want to communicate or leave the audience or your colleagues with when you have that discussion that you're gonna host on Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter. Uh, what would you tell our audience or listeners, right? Of all walks of life, how could they make these gems theirs? How could they make a difference? What would you advise them to do uh, knowing what your story is as a black man and the type of change that you would like to see so that those coming behind you might have a different experience in corporate America. Okay, get off the couch. I like to say that to a lot of people. We do not have enough people involved to make the change that we need to make in this world and in our community. Um, if we if we had a level three right now, we're gonna need all hands on deck to get us up to an eight or nine over the next five to 10 years. 5% and 10% of the um, community cannot carry the entire ship. We need all oars in the water and we have all oars in the water rowing in the same direction. Notice what I said, the same direction. Guess what? We're gonna start making headway. But the first thing we have to get all of you, everybody off the couch, you know, white, black, green, whoever you wanna call yourself and stand up for what's right. Right now, what you're seeing out here in the world now with the Black Lives Matter movement, the time is now to address an issue that's been here that need to be dealt with for the last 400 years. And America needs to deal with this issue right now. So the people of America and the black people of America can live semi-free, I like to say, or feel that they are at a level of their white counterpart. Because we have skills, we have gifts, we have knowledge, we have expertise, and we can make this um, country 10 times better than what it is right now um, if you allow us a seat at the table, allow us to show those skills, and allow us to develop um, the way we need to develop so we can be more than who we are today to help this country move forward. I know we have the protest right now, but we cannot, that's just phase one. The second phase, in my opinion, is to vote, get the wrong people out that's making the decision of this this country and get the right people in. And once we do that, we gotta get to step two to um, keep this ball rolling. And I would say number three is $1.4 trillion that passes through our hands, guys, in the black community. And 95% of it is given away on a monthly basis. Now think about that. 42 million people, just divide that by 42 million at 1.4 trillion. How much money will we have if we decided to change the way we uh, spend our money? Because if you think about transactions, every transaction is somebody's income. Now the question is, when you make a transaction, who's getting the income? So I'm gonna leave it, and leave it at that. And at the end of it, decide what you wanna do. Then have the courage to go do it. Get started, don't quit. Get started, don't quit. Write your dreams down, what you want to be, what you want to do, what you want to have, and don't quit. No matter what happens, no matter what challenges you have, resolve the problem, keep moving forward, and your dreams will come true. Period. That's it. I guarantee it. Brent White says, I guarantee it if you don't quit, your dreams will come true.
I think that's perfect. <laughs> I don't really know that we need to say anything else <laughs> after that. You know, racial bias, discrimination, disadvantage, adversity. Even though it's a part of your story, it doesn't have to define your story. And Brent Whiteside, a.k.a. Ron, I mean, he just summed go. it up for you and he's an example of that. So thank you so much for sharing your stories uh, and being a testament to the talent, skills, and success that Black men are able to achieve and will continue to achieve, uh, especially following some of the, the footsteps and the gems that you dropped today. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And uh, ladies, I want to thank you guys for having me, um, Alma and Leah, for everything that you're doing, too, for change. You know, career gems for the journey. I know it's more than just a career gym. You guys are a movement. And you guys trying to get your voice out there for, for change. And I really appreciate that. So keep fighting, keep pushing. And guess what? We'll get it done. Nobody's going to stop us. That's right. Thank you. Much respect, Ron. It's been a pleasure. Right. I appreciate it, ladies. All right. Thank you, guys. And stay tuned for our uh, next episode. Bye now. Thank you for listening. We hope this episode gave you some true gems that you can use on your own career journey. Come back for the next episode and be sure to follow us on social at Gems for the Journey on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can also email us at gemsforthejourney at gmail.com. That's G-E-M-S-F-O-R-T-H-E j-o-u-r-n-e-y at gmail.com with any questions or comments you might have.